are. Uh, we are approaching the end of the book of Acts. Uh, and I've said it throughout. I hope that, as Cody said, I hope it's inspired you. I hope that reading through it has encouraged you. Uh, a lot of great things uh, for us to learn in the book of Acts. And, uh, but we're not done yet. Uh, Luke has got one more bit of stuff for us to, uh, to digest and, and learn from. Uh, if you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 28, verse 11, Acts chapter 28, verse 11, or you can follow us on version. follow along on there. And uh, while you're turning there, just want to kind of recap where we were last week. We know that Paul is on his way to Rome. He's on his way to Rome to stand before Nero. But before he gets to Rome, he's got to make the journey to Rome. And it's on the journey that uh, a lot of chaos and crazy things take place. Uh, you know, they always say it's, it's not the destination, but it's the journey. But this journey was crazy. It was a lot of eventful things take place, some storms, some shipwrecks, uh, you know, uh, just a lot of things happen. And, you know, this all could have been avoided if they would have listened to Paul. Paul, again, was an uh, expert on being shipwrecked. And uh, he tells them, hey, we shouldn't do this, but they choose not to listen. And they go out into the storm. And, you know, we talked about the fact that Sometimes the storms of life are storms that we create ourselves. You know, sometimes we choose not to listen to godly counsel. Sometimes we choose not to uh, listen to what God tells us in his word, and we try to do things on our own. And when we try to do things on our own, we end up getting ourselves into trouble, and we make a mess of things. And sometimes if we would just stop and, and listen, then we'd be in a better situation, better position. But uh, they go out into the storm, and uh, we, we learn that even in the midst of our storms, that, that God is still there. God is still moving and, and working and protecting, and, and God is working in this storm. God is uh, telling him, hey, guess what? You are all going to get to shore. None of you are going to perish through all of this. And you know, God reminds us that, hey, I know you're going through a lot, but hey, I am with you. I am here with you. I am guiding you through all of this. You know, we talked about in chapter 27, you know, sometimes uh, in the midst of the storms, we find out what kind of person we are. Are we the kind of person who's going to trust in God and lean in God like Paul did? Or are we going to be the kind of people who doubt God and, and believe that God's not actually going to do what he says he's going to do? You know, the sailors who try to get off the ship and, and get away before things go bad. And then, you know, we talked about the fact that sometimes in the midst of the storms, we have opportunities to minister to others. We have opportunities in the middle of our storms to uh, find empathy towards people and encourage one another and build one another up. And so we come to Acts chapter 28, and we are getting into Rome, and we're going to see what happens when we get into Rome and what Paul does while he's in Rome. And there's a lot of amazing things that take place in a, in a house that, that show us that, hey, no matter what the situation, God is active and he's moving and he's working and he's, nothing is going to stop him from doing what he has set out to do. And so we're going to start in verse 11 
And it says this, After three months we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there we set sail and arrived in Regum. The next day the south wind came up, and on the following day we reached Putatoli. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Apius and the Three Taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. And so we see that they get a hold of this Alexandrian ship. It has the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. The reason why these uh, statues, these uh, uh, figurehead of the twin gods would be on this ship is Castor and Pollux were considered the guardians of the seafarers. And they would punish those who did evil things. And so they would have these on their ship as a, uh, you know, these gods were watching over us. These uh, seafaring gods, uh, Castor and Pollux. They didn't need them. I mean, God was, especially in this case, God was in control. But that's what they put on there. Because remember, the people, the Romans, had many gods. And... uh, This one, this Alexandrian ship, was probably a grain ship. We talked about that a little bit last week. And they set sail, and they end up in uh, Putatoli. And it says that uh, we found some brothers and sisters, and they invite us to spend a week with them. It doesn't tell us why they were stopped for a week and why they were allowed to go and be with these believers for a week. It probably had something to do with the centurion at the time having some kind of business that he had to take care of, and he trusted Paul, and we see that in 27. He, uh, he knew that Paul was a trustworthy man, and so he lets him go and spend a week with these brothers and sisters, and then they move along to Rome. And you see, to get to Rome, these brothers and sisters who meet them there, they hear that they're coming, and they come uh, from the form of atheists and the three taverns to meet us. To get there, they would have had to walk on what was known as the Apian Way, the Appian Way. And there's a picture of it there. This is the oldest road in Rome. It was the oldest road in Rome at this time, and this is it today. And that road, centuries, has been standing, and, you know, we see road construction all the time here, and, you know, uh, maybe we can learn a thing or two, you know, me and Kay were talking about it the other day, she goes, they didn't have cars. I'm like, yeah, but over time, weather and foot traffic, well, you think it would deteriorate a little bit, but no, look at it, it still looks pretty good for the oldest road in Roman Italy. And so, they, these brothers and sisters, they come, they travel to see Paul, and I love the response of Paul here. Paul, or at the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. Paul saw these brothers and sisters who had come. They had heard that he was on his way, and so they gather together to meet him. And Paul sees them, and he is encouraged, and he thanks God for them. He he praises the fact that man. Even though I'm going into Rome, I still can see my brothers and sisters and be encouraged and and that they would care so much to come all this way to see me. It means a lot. And it says, when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. 
Verse 16 is the last of the we statements in the book of Acts. It's the last one. This is the last time we see Luke included. From here on out, it's going to be more focused on Paul. The we is going to be gone. It's going to be talking about this is what happened. Uh, you know, this is what I've heard has happened. This is the story that was passed on to me. Luke is going to record it. And it says that he was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. He lived in his own little rental property, as we see at the end of chapter 28. He was probably, as was the case when you would be in any kind of jail situation, he would be strapped to a guard, chained to a guard. But he was still allowed to share with people, as we will see. He'll still be allowed to talk with people, as we'll see. And this was, had something to do with the fact that he was a trustworthy man, that, that what he did was not really a, a bad thing in the eyes of the Romans. And so he has this nice place where he can stay. And so as we conclude through Acts this morning, I still think there's a few things that we can learn from this chapter. And here's the first thing. We need each other. You see, we need each other. You've probably seen the studies that are out there, the benefits of having quality friends. You know, having quality relationships can help with loneliness, which in a lot of cases causes emotional and mental problems. When you have nobody to talk to, when you're lonely, it can cause uh, mental health issues. We need people to listen to us. We need people to walk alongside of us. We need people uh, with us as we, as we go through things. And if look at the last two years and you look at the statistics from the, the last two years, we need social interaction. We need people around us. You know, it's been said that having quality relationships can help with stress. Having those people around you to encourage you when you need it, to help pick you up when you're down, having, uh, when you're having those stressful moments, having people around you can help with your stress levels. You know, stress can cause things such as heart problems and high blood pressure. It's important to manage stress, and having quality relationships around you can help with that. One of the most important benefits of quality friendships has to do with our personal growth. You know, you have a plan, you know, we come in the New Year's, and what's the first thing we do when we come in the New Year's? We set goals. And what's the number one goal that every person in this world seems to set on New Year's? I want to grow personally, whether it's going through a diet, whether it's I want to grow uh, in knowledge, maybe I want to grow in this or that. We want to grow. That's our thing, right? Personal growth. And you know, sometimes we try to do it on our own, and what happens when we do it on our own? We fall apart because sometimes we're just not strong enough, and we need encouragement. We need people around us to help us. You know, sometimes that's encouraging, and sometimes that is kicking our butt when we need it, right? When, when we say, hey, I'm going to do this. No, you're not going to do this, and I'm going to make sure you don't do this. Kicking our butts when we need it sometimes to make sure we hit our goals, it benefits us to have those around us who can help to tell us what we need to hear when we need to hear it, encourage us when we need to be encouraged. You see, quality friendships are important. We need each other. But it's not just in our, our physical health that we find the benefits of friendship and community. It's also beneficial in our walk with God. 
community, encouragement from others. It's important in our walk with God. This week, one of our speakers at the preaching and teaching convention was a professor at Ozark named Michael DeFazio, uh, one of my favorite preachers. And one of the things that he said, he had the task of talking about community. And he talked about David and Jonathan and their friendship and, and you know, just the importance of the friendships that David had in him fulfilling what God had called him to. And he made two really good points that I thought were really good. The first one thing he said was, we cannot have faithfulness without friendship. It's hard to be faithful to God when we don't have friends, when we don't have community. It's hard to stay on task with what God has called us to be faithful to when we're trying to do it on our own. To be faithful, we need friends. And then he said this, our ability to fulfill God's calling in our lives depend on the quality of our friendships. If we are going to do what God has called us to do, we need people in our life to help us, to encourage us, to guide us, to, to tell us what we need to hear, whether we like it or we don't. We need people around us. We need community. God created us to be in community, to be in community with him, to be in community with our fellow brothers and our sisters. We need community, and yet... You know, Satan understands this, and so what does he do? He tries to tear things apart. Every time, you know, God's going to do it, Satan, his job, he's going to try to tear it apart. And he does that sometimes. He tries to do that with us in our communities. You look around and you see division all around us, all around the world, everything that's going on. We see division, and the sad truth is, is for so many places, so many congregations, it's seeping into the church. So much division in the church. I believe in this. I believe in this. This is my view. This is my view. And it causes division. And the sad truth is, is or the sad thing is, this shouldn't be the case. Division should not be the case in our churches. As a matter of fact, it tells us this in Scripture. Romans 12, 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Romans 15, 5 through 6 tells us, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and with one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalms 133, 1 says, How good and pleasant is it when God's people live together. When we act like community, when we live in community, when we grow, when we do life with one another, how great is that? How good and pleasant. And so here's the question that we need to ask. If we should be in community together, if we shouldn't be divided, if we should be living as one unified body, what should we be doing? Well, the first thing that we should be doing is help each other to grow. We should be helping each other to grow, to be accountable with one another. And sometimes accountability looks like encouragement. Sometimes accountability looks, like I said earlier, kicking somebody's butt if they need that. You know, I've got people in my life who encourage me, and I appreciate encouragement, and these same people in my life who encourage me will also tell me, Bobby, you're being stupid. And I appreciate that. Because in order to do what God has called me to do, I need both. We need both. We need people sometimes to remind us, hey, you can't do that. 
you're doing this. You need to focus back on this. You need to focus back on God. You're trying to do this. You're trying to do this. Just trust in God. We have to help each other grow. Proverbs 27, 17 is iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And so we help each other grow, but what else do we do? We encourage one another. That is important that we encourage one another, that we lift one another up, that we build one another up. We need that sometimes when things are chaotic, when things seem to be in turmoil. We need somebody to come alongside of us and encourage us. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 tells us this, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Scripture makes it clear. We need to encourage one another. You see, this is why, as a church, we pray together. This is why we fellowship together. This is why we worship together. We are not meant to do life alone. We are meant for community. We are meant for togetherness. We are meant to be, uh, man, there for each other, building each other up, encouraging one another, helping one another to grow. Paul found that over and over and over again. Wherever he went, he found places to stay, people to live with, people to do life with, who were brothers and sisters who encouraged him, helped him with his ministry. Over and over and over again, you can find the church at their strongest when they are together. That's a great example that we find from the book of Acts. The text continues for us in verse 17. It says, three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders when they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me, but because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death, the Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. So he gets into Rome, and one of the first things he does, three days later, he calls together the local Jewish leaders, and he, he wants to talk to them, and he wants, what does he want to tell them? He wants to tell them what he's been telling other leaders, other rulers, other authorities up to this point. This is why I'm here. This is why I'm here. This is what the situation is. He starts his final discourse here in the book of Acts by telling people, number one, he had done nothing wrong violating the Jews or their traditions. Everything he was saying was true. Everything that he had been telling people was true. He was pointing to the laws of Moses. He was pointing to the prophets. He was telling them, hey, everything that had been proclaimed here has taken place here. Everything that was said to come has taken place here. He was Right, he wasn't doing anything wrong in what he say, was saying. He wasn't violating any laws, any traditions of the Jews. He then tells him, hey, the Romans found nothing that I had done was worthy of death. Nothing that I was doing. I was just simply sharing the gospel. Nothing that I was doing was worthy of death. And then he tells him he has to appeal to Nero because he knew that the Jews were not going to treat him fairly. If they released him and said, you guys, you the Jewish leaders, you do with him what you want, you try him, they would have tried him in Jerusalem, and they already had their minds made up. They tried to kill this man. How do you think a trial was going to go? It wasn't going to go very well for this man. They already didn't like him. If they were the ones in charge of trying him, he was already going 
to be sentenced to death. And so he knew the only way to go and do what he wanted to do was to appeal to Nero. And because of that, it took the opportunity out of the Jews' hands for them to put him in trial. And so uh, he asked that he can share this with them. And then it goes on to verse 21. It says, They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. This is a really interesting reply that they give here, uh, and I kind of wonder how truthful these Jewish leaders are being. They say that they've not heard anything from Judea or Judea about Paul. Jerusalem hasn't sent anything to this church in Rome or to these Jews in Rome about who Paul is. I have a hard time believing that because Paul was so well, or well known because he was going out preaching everywhere that the Jews in Jerusalem wouldn't have gotten them word, but they say they haven't heard of him. But they are interested in what he has to say because he has heard, or they have heard about this sect. They've heard about Christianity. As we know, these believers came from Rome to meet up with Paul. And so that tells us that at least there was a church already started in Rome and that these brothers and sisters were there. And so they had heard of Christianity because there's already a group of believers there. But they say they have not heard of Paul and so in verse 23, it tells us, They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. Some of your Bibles on the bottom includes verse 29. Some manuscripts include here, after he said this, the Jews left arguing vigorously among themselves. So they agree to meet with Paul, and Paul speaks to them about the kingdom of God. He speaks to them about the law of Moses and the prophets, and he tries to tell them about Jesus, tries to persuade them about Jesus, wants them to know about Jesus. It's the same message he's been preaching uh, throughout the book of Acts, the kingdom of God, the law of Moses, the prophets all point to Jesus. He wants them to understand this. And that's the message he preaches. And then we see that there's this disagreement among them. Some of them were convinced. Notice here, some were convinced. That doesn't mean they believed. Maybe what, you know, what you're saying could be true, but that doesn't mean that they put their faith in him. Hopefully they did. It would be great if they did. Others would not believe. Sad truth is, in most cases, it was the minority who would be convinced and the majority who would refuse to believe. 
And they disagreed among themselves. And then Paul makes this final statement. He comes from Isaiah chapter 6, 9 through 10. Go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of the people callous, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. The reason Paul tells them this is simple. You've had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to hear the word. You've had opportunity after opportunity to make that decision to follow Jesus Christ. You've had opportunity after opportunity to believe what we are telling you. And over and over and over again, God's people chose not to listen. And so what does he tell them? Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. And they do. They do. They listen over and over again. The Jews don't want to hear what they have to say. They don't want to listen. But guess what? When they take the gospel to the Gentiles, guess who is open to receiving it? Guess who believes? The Gentiles believe. And God's people just keep missing and missing and missing but yet the Gentiles are there and they will listen. He's going to turn to the Gentile. We know throughout Scripture it was told to us that soon every nation, every tribe, every tongue would have an opportunity to hear the gospel. And guess what? They do. You know who that includes? You and me. We're the Gentiles. Thank goodness that Paul says we're going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So here's something that I think we can learn from Acts 28 here. Not everyone will listen, but some will. The sad truth is, and I hate to say it, but it's just true. The sad truth is, is there are going to be people that will never take the message and listen. They'll hear what you're saying. They'll hear the words. They'll hear the, the message, but they won't listen with their hearts. They won't listen and hear what God is trying to do for them. And they've already made their mind. They've already decided that they don't want what we have to sell. They don't want to hear what it is that we have to say. Over and over again, the message was preached to the Jews. And over and over and over again, the majority chose not to listen. It was right in front of their face, but man, this goes against our traditions. This goes against our customs. This goes against the things that we're used to. Sad truth is, is even today, there are going to be those who do not want to listen to what you have to say. They'll hear you, but they don't really want to listen. But see, here's the thing that we need to remember. Just because, or because some will not listen, that does not mean that we stop telling people about the good news. We don't stop telling people about Jesus because not everybody will listen, but some will. Some will listen to what you have to say. Some will want to know why your life is different than those around them. Some people will want to hear the message that you proclaim. And so we need to make sure we keep sharing that message. And you know what? Some people may listen, some people may not, but that does not stop us from making sure we tell people. Ezekiel 2.7 says this, You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. Whether they listen or whether they don't listen, you continue to speak the gospel to them. 
Because everyone needs to hear it. Romans 10, 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Guess what? That's you. That's me. That's all of us who believe. We have the obligation, the, the privilege, the, the calling to make sure people hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Some will not listen, but some will And we need to make sure that we tell people what God has done. Then he finishes up here. Luke finishes up in verse 30 and 31. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. He stays for two years in this rented house preaching and teaching to anybody who wanted to come and see him. He's sitting in this rented house. He's a prisoner in this rented house, but at least it's better than a prison cell. And he's inviting people in, and he's speaking to whoever would want to hear him. This is what I love about Paul. Man, nothing stopped this guy. Nothing would stop this guy. Everything you can think of, and what does he do? I'm going to just keep preaching. I'm just going to keep telling people about what happens. Snake bites you, just brush it off and keep preaching. That's the kind of man this man was. And so I want to talk about these two years that he stays in prison. But before we talk about those two years, I want to talk about what happens after this, after these two years. Because that seems to be a question a lot of people want to know. What happens at the end of the book of Acts? What happens to Paul after he's in prison? We don't get a sense of what takes place next. We see that Paul is in prison for two years, and that's where we are left. So what happens? Well, we don't get the answer to that in the book of Acts. We don't see the trial. And I think Luke doesn't show us the trial, because I don't think he feels we need to know what happens in the trial. I think... What he wants us to know is the faithfulness of God's people responding to what God has called them to do. But it's interesting to talk about, and so we will. You know, some people believe that after two years, he went through trial and he was executed. He's convicted and put to death by Nero. Others believe, and this is where I tend to land, that he is released from prison. It's likely, possible, a lot of other commentators believe this, that in 62 AD, he's released from prison. He does nothing wrong, and they see that he did nothing wrong, and so they let him go. And then he goes, likely, on a fourth mission trip, missionary journey, if you will. And that is where, if he's released in 62 AD, it's likely in this time, in 64 to 67 AD, he would write First and Second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon while he travels. Paul tells us in Scripture he intends to go to Spain. Romans 15, 24, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. Lays it out there. A lot of early church documents allege that he made it to Spain, and some believe it was possible that Paul made it as far as Britain. That would be cool to think that he made it that far. It's probably not likely that he did, but it's cool to think. 
First Clement 5.6, an early church document, says, having taught righteousness unto the whole world and having reached the farthest bounds of the West, and when he had borne his testimony before the rulers, so he departed from the world and went into the holy place, having been found a notable pattern of patient endurance. The far West at this time would have been Spain. Cyril of Jerusalem, another early church historian, once said, one who from Jerusalem and even unto Lyricum fully preached the gospel and instructed even imperial Rome and carried the earnestness of his preaching as far as Spain, undergoing conflicts with innumerable and performing signs and wonders. I choose to believe he made it to Spain. It's likely that he didn't get to Britain because it's around the time in 67, 68 AD that we're going to see him put to death. He would be imprisoned probably 67 or 68. The difference is this time he would not be in a rental home. This time he would be in an actual prison cell. And it's said that he was put to death in AD 68. He died on the Ostian Way. And there should be a picture up here. The Ostian Way where they believe that Paul would have been executed. And so that is the story of a man, what, what likely takes place after. It doesn't tell us, like I said. That would, I choose to believe that's what happened. But I want to talk now about the two years he was in prison in Acts 28. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And here's the thing I think we can learn from this. The gospel cannot be chained. The gospel cannot be chained. This is amazing. In these two verses, it's amazing to see what Paul did in these two years. He continues, first of all, to preach the gospel to anybody and everybody who would come and listen to him. His chains, his prison cell, or his, his prison house that he was living in, he couldn't leave, but that did not stop him from proclaiming the gospel. This time they came to him and he preached. Ephesians 6.20 tells us this, For which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Chains were not going to hold this man down. Chains were not going to stop this man from making the gospel known. He continues to preach to anybody and everybody who would listen. In two years in prison, he wrote Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and I apologize, I said Philemon earlier. It would have been here that he wrote Philemon. Man, two years in lockdown, and look at what he does. Writes letters to all these churches, encouraging them, keep up what you're doing. Keep up what you're doing. And, and yes, I'm in chains, but I proclaim the gospel. Keep up what you're doing. Keep loving the Lord. Keep uh, taking care of the people that God has entrusted into you. Keep doing what God has called you to do. He keeps encouraging people by letters, all the way, people all the way away from Rome. 
You see, what's so amazing about this is that the gospel cannot be chained. No matter what the enemy tries to throw at the world to make the gospel go away, it cannot be stopped. The Jews tried to stop it. It did not work. The enemy tried to stop it. It did not work. The gospel is still moving and spreading. It is still going all over the world today. The gospel is going to countries where... It's illegal to be a Christian. The gospel is going to places where if you preach and profess openly, you lose your life. The gospel is still going to places that will cause them to be chained and imprisoned for speaking. And guess what? These places where the gospel is illegal, these places where the gospel they're trying to stop, guess what's happening? The church is growing. The gospel is spreading like wildfire. It is growing. The gospel cannot be stopped. It cannot be chained. 2 Timothy 2.9, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. Isaiah 14.27, for the Lord Almighty has purposed and who can thwart him? His hand is stretched out and who can turn it back? Nobody can stop the mission of God. Nobody can stop what God is doing in this world. Nobody can stop what God is, is working out. Nobody can stop who God is. But see, here's the thing that I wonder. Why then do we try to chain the gospel ourselves? Why then do we try to chain the gospel ourselves? Man, we're told to preach, we're told to proclaim it because some may not listen, but some will. We're told to proclaim the gospel, but why do we try to chain the gospel ourselves? We let all these things, all these distractions, all these problems that we face, all these hard times, all these difficulties keep us from proclaiming God's word. I just don't have time to worry about other people hearing the good news because I've got my own problems. I've got my own things happening. The gospel cannot be chained, so why do we try to put a chain on it? Instead, we should live life like Paul, that anybody who would choose to listen, we proclaim the gospel. If any opportunities come, we proclaim the gospel. When those moments are there, we proclaim the gospel. And so here we are. That is the end of the book of Acts. And I want to end on this note. The book of Acts teaches us a lot of things. It teaches us that God can take anybody and everybody and use them to serve his purpose. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter what you try to hide from him. God can take you in all of your brokenness and all of your shame and all of your past, and he can turn you into somebody who can proclaim the gospel. He can use any of us. He, we, he can use any of us and he can use us to take the gospel out there to serve his purpose. And you want to know something? There is an Acts chapter 29. It's you and me. We are Acts chapter 29. Our story is still being written today. Our story is still being written. The one where we're taking the gospel out to Nowata, to Bartlesville, to the surrounding areas and making Jesus known. Our story is still being written. The book of Acts shows us that the Holy Spirit is way, way more important than we give him credit for. The Holy Spirit's the hero of the story. 
It's the Holy Spirit who moves and pushes and guides these people to go and do what it is they do on the day of Pentecost. It is the arrival, the arrival of the Holy Spirit who guides and moves and, and makes the gospel known through these people. It is the Holy Spirit who is the hero of the story because everything that takes place is because the Holy Spirit's leading. Are we letting the Holy Spirit lead us? I'm a big fan of the Holy Spirit, and I think he's underrated, and I think he deserves more respect than what he's given. Now, you want to see, here's what I take away from the book of Acts the most. You see, God is building a kingdom, and he wants everybody to be a part of it. God is building a kingdom, and he wants everybody to be a part of it. All people need to hear the gospel. Everyone you know needs to hear the gospel. Your friends, your family, your co-workers, they need to hear the gospel. They need what you have. So don't keep it to yourself. Share what you have. I keep coming back to Paul in front of Agrippa when he says, whether long or short, I pray that one day you have what I have without the chains. He's building a kingdom and he wants everyone to be a part of it. And to accomplish this, what did he do? He sent his son so that anyone who believes in him can have an opportunity to be part of that kingdom. John 3, 16 and 17. We should know it like it's on the back of our hands. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. You have an opportunity this morning to be a part of the kingdom of God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they do, maybe this morning you've never become a member of that kingdom. Maybe this morning you need to give your life to him and become part of kingdom membership. Man, what better is there than to be part of the kingdom of God? Or maybe you are here this morning and you have just and looking through the book of Acts, I realized that I just have not been living my life very faithful to God. Man, I just have not been doing what God calls me to do. Man, I just have not been living with the, the fire, the passion that these people had in the book of Acts, and, and I want that. You know, I told Nora this week, man, I pray often to have the zeal of Paul. I pray, when I, when I pray, I pray, man, God, I want to be able to, to have that kind of heart, that kind of desire, that kind of fire to share your word that Paul had. I want to have that fire and desire to, to share your word like Peter had. And maybe what we need to do is we need to spend time talking with God and asking that God would light a fire in us to tell people what he has done for us. And so this morning, if you need to spend time in prayer where you're sitting, go for it. If you need to come up here and pray with me, I'd love to pray with you. And maybe this morning you have a decision to make, and if that's the case, I would love to talk with you. Cody would love to talk with you. The elders would love to talk with you. You can come up here and talk with me this morning. I'd love to. 
But man, let us go and be people who encourage one another, who build one another up, who help one another grow. Let us be people who go and share the gospel with every single person we run across. And they may listen and they may not, but we share the gospel because we know that they need what we have. And let us stop putting chains around the gospel and let us take it out to everyone that we meet. Because the gospel cannot be chained. The enemy cannot stop you. The enemy cannot stop us. The enemy cannot stop God. Because God is still. He is still active, still moving, still living, still on his throne, still in control. He is still saving lives. And so this morning, if you have a decision to make, I pray that you would do so as we stand and we sing.